Hey, sustainable fashion supporter. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, a podcast dedicated to fashion sustainability and equipping you with the knowledge to do better in the world. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you on this journey to right the harmful fashion industry. You ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back. In today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest. Her name is Iris, and she's actually a contributing writer here at Recloseted. You may know her. She's the brains behind our Material Monday posts. And today, we're going to be confronting the living wage. Hello, I'm Iris, and I'm so happy to be here. This is one of my favorite topics to discuss because I think it's one of the most convicting, intersecting, and morally challenging issues that are out there and that really need to be talked about more. So thanks for inviting me on, Selena. Yeah, of course. And I'm super excited to have you here. I think it's amazing that we're having this conversation. And it's awesome timing, too, because Fashion Revolution Week just happened. Mm -hmm. For those of you that don't know, Fashion Revolution Week is a movement that's calling for more transparency in the fashion industry. Fashion Revolution really encourages consumers to ask brands who made my clothes and stand up for workers' rights and strive for ethical wages and really just ask more questions so there is more transparency in the industry. And today we're going to be talking about the living wage. We're going to be talking about Rana Plaza that happened. We'll talk about a recent labor issue as well. And then we'll deep dive into Bangladesh. I think that'll be really interesting. We looked up the living wages there so that we could have a more comprehensive discussion. Then we'll end with what companies can do and also what you can do. And to start off with, let's talk about some living wage stories because I feel like that will really give us more context about why this is so important. I think a lot of us have heard a lot of different living wage stories and for me personally when I was interviewing a local designer at a brand here in Vancouver she was telling me that she's from China and when she goes back home she hears stories of women not going to the bathroom because you know their hours are so precious and they're they're really um, pushed to make as many garments as possible and in those kind of environments lots of women have health issues because they're pushed Every day, they're under so much pressure. You know, they can't even go to the bathroom, so think about how or when they can even eat. So it's definitely not a great environment to be in. There's so many of these stories that are going on. Yeah, totally. And I think with a lot of the way the factories operate is that the women who are making these clothes, they're being paid by the piece. So the faster you work, the more you get paid. And who wouldn't want to get more in a day's pay? So... I feel like there's a lot of pressure there for these women to be super efficient and along with that is that pressure from their bosses and all of that together is just, it's a lot. And another reason why it's so important to have this discussion is because in the last 50 years, our apparel industry has gotten so much bigger due to globalizations, brands have gotten bigger and more corporate. I can remember like here in Vancouver a while back, like we haven't had our H&Ms and Zara's for really that long, but there was a time when we didn't have them at all. And now these brands are so huge and they make up so much of what we know as fashion. So speaking of H&M and Zara and Forever 21, these are fast fashion companies. And a lot of these companies are linked to the Rana Plaza incident that happened six years ago on April 24th, 2013. The Rana Plaza incident, if you don't know about it, is the deadliest industrial accident that occurred in Bangladesh. 
the Rana Plaza factory building basically collapsed in 90 seconds and killed over a thousand people. The building itself wasn't very stable to begin with. There were cracks on the floor. And even though some people noticed it, everyone was too busy working to ever say anything. And so this terrible event happened. And this Rana Plaza factory is actually associated with brands like Joe Fresh, Mango, Walmart, Nike, all brands that we know and might have even bought from before. Since then, a lot of factories have actually cleaned up their act and the issue of building safety has become a more popular one that more companies are paying attention to. And so even amidst lots of workers' protests, I feel like companies are listening, but there's definitely more that can be done. Yeah, and like Iris said, that happened six years ago. And since then, there's been a lot of companies that are paying more attention to this and factories are trying to listen more to their workers, especially when it comes to unsafe working conditions. But there's still a huge ways to go and there's much more we can do. And to put it into perspective, in January, there was a scandal, if you will, with the Spice Girls. They had these hashtag I want to be a Spice Girl t-shirts. And in theory, was supposed to be great. These t-shirts, 50% of the proceeds were supposed to go to comic relief's efforts to champion equality for women. So great cause. However, The Guardian reported that these shirts were made in a Bangladesh factory where women earned about 45 USD an hour. On top of that, they were working really long days, 16 hours per day to be specific. There were also claims of verbal abuse, sexual abuse, and harassment. Definitely not great. And then on top of that, what I think is super ironic is that these shirts were supposed to be promoting equality and they actually ended up harming the women workers in the process. With that, we can tell that it's still a problem today. And this problem happened because Spice Girls and Comic Relief, they outsourced it to a third party called Represent. And I believe Represent, they ended up changing the factory without telling them. Companies in general, they need to ask questions and make sure they know exactly who's making their clothes. You need to do sniff tests, all of that stuff. And I think it's just a testament to the fact that it's still going on today and we still need to work on it. Yeah, and a lot of people who support fast fashion justify it a lot by claiming that our business and our shopping and our consumption can help garment workers because essentially we are the ones giving them work. So isn't it good that, you know, that we're supporting H&M, that we're supporting Zara because essentially we're helping these people get jobs? I actually think this needs to be debunked because we too often assume that these garment workers have no other career options and it's just not true. Garment workers can be garment workers, but they can go to work and they can feel safe and they can feel like they're doing fulfilling work and there's still just so much more opportunity to change. I think what we want to focus on perhaps more is our consumption level because the less pressure that these garment workers are under, the better environment that they will be in. And I think a lot of that pressure that they are under is because of just the massive amounts of clothes that we people in the West consume. I totally agree. And I think you raised a lot of good points. First of all, these garment workers, they could be going to school. These girls work in these factories at a really young age, so they could have been getting other skills and this couldn't have been their only method of income. And secondly, we need to take a lot of responsibility too. We need to stop buying so much and also put our money where our mouth is and support brands that deserve to be supported. 
on that note, why don't we do our deep dive into Bangladesh? So we actually did research into, you know, what the cost of living is there and what it looks like, because maybe 45 cents USD per hour can actually get you stuff. It really doesn't. But, you know, let's let's play devil's advocate here and let's actually take a deep dive. So Bangladesh, it's one of the cheapest places to produce clothing, believe it or not. The apparel industry is worth $25 billion in Bangladesh, which is crazy. But if you think about, you know, if all these big companies like H&M and Zara are producing there, then of course. In Bangladesh, there are 4 million garment workers and 85% of them are female. 80% of Bangladesh's exports are based on the apparel industry, so most of it. Yeah, it's, it's just a huge part of what brings in money into the country. And I think that's why it's so important that we talk about Bangladesh, because really without it, our clothes would be a lot different. Our clothes would cost a lot different. These facts are super shocking, and I personally had no idea that the industry was worth $25 billion. So anyways, I'm going to include all of the facts that we talk about in the show notes so that you can also read them and share it with your friends and family too, because I think it's really important for us to talk about this. So, 4 million garment workers in Bangladesh, how much do they get paid on average? Wages for garment workers, it's around $63 to $68 USD a month. And honestly, the wages for these garment workers are one of the lowest in the entire world. Let's put that into perspective and talk about the cost of living in Bangladesh. So basically, just imagine rent outside of the city centers it's around 50 to 85 usd a month so right there you've already got your whole month's paycheck that you need to spend on your rent if you live inside the city center it's about 80 to 120 usd for a month so that's really crazy and i think that makes a lot of sense to me now because i've also heard stories of women having to travel you know really far distances in order to get to work That's just because they can't afford to live in the city where it's closer to the factories. When we look at these wages, no wonder so many women are pressured to work long hours. It's so hard to just get by. And I feel like there's a lot of stagnancy in the change and there's not a lot of room for their wages to change because the Bangladeshi government are in fact actually really connected to the major factories. We're going to include a great link to a BOF Voices talk in the show notes, which is a testimony from a former garment worker that kind of shed light on this issue. But I was really shocked personally to know that, in fact, a lot of the government is, you know, not only is it corrupt, but it's also very deeply linked to the major problematic factories that treat their workers so poorly. Yeah, and with the wage that they're getting, so the 63 to 68 USD per month, And the fact that Iris just outlined that a majority of it, you know, 90% of it probably goes to their rent, there's still food, there's still their children's clothing, there's still their children's, like, water, there's so much other stuff to pay for. And so if this woman is a single mom, or if they have a really big family, then their parents are both working, and then these children are off on their own, and then who knows if they're getting an education. So it's just a very vicious cycle, in my opinion. From this analysis, we can gather that this is not a living wage. Is it an ethical wage? Also probably not. And we need to do better and we need to make sure that they're actually getting paid for our clothes and we need to be okay with paying a little bit more and making sure that it's going to these workers. 
We just did a deep dive into Bangladesh, and yes, it's one of the largest apparel industries in the world. A lot of the garment workers do work there. That being said, there are other countries as well, like China, India, and even North America and Europe. But it's really important that we don't generalize and we don't say that, oh, if you manufacture in Asia, it's probably unethical, or oh, if you manufacture in North America, it's probably ethical. You need to go on a factory by factory basis. It's not enough just to generalize and say anything manufactured in Asia probably was unethical, or anything manufactured in North America was probably ethical. We need to deep dive and make sure that the buildings are secure, people are getting paid a living wage, and you know being treated nicely too. This is a good segue into discussing what companies and brands can do. A good quote I found from an article that I will also link in the show notes is as follows. Factory owners have complained that brands want it both ways. They are increasingly pressuring these factory owners to invest in safety upgrades, building upgrades. However, they are still relentlessly pushing and pressuring for lower prices. And I think that's where brands come into play. I get it, you want to be profitable, you want to maximize your margins, but at what cost? You know, at the end of the day, someone is paying, and it may not be monetary value, they could be paying in their health, their well-being, their state of living, and so we need to keep that in mind. With that being said, we have gathered a few ways that brands can be more ethical and take more responsibility and figure out what's going on in their factories. So the first thing that companies can and honestly should do is to set criteria when selecting factories. This is really huge and I know it probably sounds vague from the way that I'm saying it, but who you choose to work with is super important. In selecting criteria, I mean go to China, go to India, go to Taiwan, go to Bangladesh. Go and see these factories in person and see if they match up on your criteria of work ethics and pay wages and safety. Is it someplace that you would want to work yourself? I think it's a really important question to ask. I feel like a lot of companies who are based out of North America don't always take that first step to go and see these people in person and to meet the garment workers who will be producing their clothes. And I think that's a huge thing that companies need to be doing. And related to that too, spot checking factories is also super important just to make sure that everything is going according to plan. Let's say that you're a company and you are checking out a factory for the first time, but then you go back to your home country. You never know what might be happening in that factory behind the scenes. So definitely spot checking factories, if you can afford it, is super worthwhile. And honestly, it's great for your brand too, because while you're there, you're also doing quality control and making sure that you're making the best product that you can. Even if brands do pay factories a certain amount, companies need to do their due diligence and ensure that it's being paid out to their workers and it's not just the factory owners who are taking the bigger cut. I think this will involve a lot of more difficult conversations with the factory owners, but these are necessary conversations for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with all of Iris's points. And beyond that, being transparent is super important. Circling back on Fashion Revolution Week, it's built on transparency. And I think that if you can inform customers exactly where their clothing is made, people really resonate with that because people want to know in today's day and age more than ever 
who is making their clothes, where it's being made, are they getting a living wage, are they being treated ethically? These are all things that we are continuing to care about, which is amazing. And it will really put your company apart if you can provide that kind of transparency. On that note, it can also be a great marketing tool. I think a company like Everlane does it very well, where they show you exactly where it was made and they show you pictures of the factory and sometimes even the garment workers. I think that being transparent is super important and don't have customers hound you for it. You know, if they're going to ask you these questions, you should be super excited and you should be pleased to answer them because at the end of the day, it means that they're caring about it and it means that we can do better. To end off with on this portion, if your garment workers are being poorly paid, they're in an unsafe environment, they're hungry, they're unhappy, how long can this really be sustainable for? And can you even feel good about this? Because I think at the end of the day, fashion is this beautiful thing. It's an art of expression. And when you design these clothes to go on other people's backs, you want to make sure that the people that make them and bring them to life are being treated ethically. Make sure that these garment workers do have a better life and your brand and your quality too will be better in return. Now let's talk about what consumers can do. And we do actually want to talk about greenwashing to begin with. For those of you that don't know, greenwashing is essentially a term where sustainability has become a hot topic and lots of people are jumping on the bandwagon. So a lot of bigger companies kind of want to capitalize on that and they'll use marketing terms, if you will, I'm doing air quotations, but marketing terms like locally designed, which actually means nothing because if you think about it, someone could be designing this garment in, let's say Vancouver, Canada, but it's still being shipped out to maybe an unethical factory. So at the end of the day, locally designed means nothing, but they're just using that term because local is a buzzword that people look for when they buy clothes. So that's a form of greenwashing. It's important to be aware of these things and make sure that we're looking for the right things, like what materials are being used. Assessing the price. I think assessing price is also really important too. And Iris is actually going to talk about made in Canada and made in USA because I think that's also something that can be used as a greenwashing term. Mm-hmm, definitely. If you find a piece of clothing and it says made in Canada and made in USA, that is fantastic. That is great. But it also doesn't necessarily mean that it's ethical or that the factory is working in its best, you know, morally best practice. Also be wary of that too. I can tell you right now, there are factories in Canada and in the USA that exploit their workers who just don't pay them minimum wage and who even have unsafe working conditions. So it does exist. And I think this is just a kind reminder to not automatically associate certain countries with certain types of behaviors, which can get very touchy. On the flip side, there can be ethical factories in developing countries as well. For example, Everlane, they are super transparent with their factories and they produce their goods in India and in China and it's ethically made. That's a great example as well. And I think you may be listening now and thinking, well, how do I know then if my garment was ethically made? If, you know, there's buzzwords like locally designed and made in Canada or made in the USA. The reality is that you never can 100% know as of right now. However, there are a couple things you can do. First of all, I think you can ask brands. And again, that's part of this whole fashion revolution movement. There's this whole hashtag who made my clothes that you can do on social media. You can tag them in your Instagram stories. You can send them an email. You can DM them. 
And I think we're in the age where your social media platforms and your voice definitely matters. And you shouldn't underestimate what you can do. Going back to it, companies, if you get those kind of questions, you should be more than happy to talk to these customers and answer their questions because at the end of the day, it's great that we're asking these questions and we're demanding more transparency. Additionally, there are brands that are generally more ethical and more sustainable. In the Recloseted Handbook, your sustainable fashion guide, we list a whole bunch of companies that are recloseted approved. That being said, you can also do your own research. I think it's pretty easy. All you need to do is spend 10 or 15 minutes just on a company's website. And if you can't figure out what materials they're using and you, know, you can't really figure out where it's being manufactured and they just have buzzwords like sustainable, green, local all over their site and there's not much substance to it, then you probably know that there isn't a lot going on. And again, you can always email them as well. But support ethical brands. I think that's a good place to start because a lot of these brands do care about these issues and they're trying to do better. So support them with your dollars. Beyond that, you can shop secondhand or go thrifting or do a clothing swap or exchange with your friends because pre-loved garments, someone before did make them, but no one knew how such them, if that makes sense. So shopping secondhand is really great. And you can also keep an eye out for certifications. For example, the Fair Trade Certified logo is a good one to look out for. Patagonia uses this one a lot for their products. And also support smaller brands. The fact is, smaller brands produce less clothing. It's that simple. Smaller amounts of clothing gets produced in smaller, usually much better controlled factories and environments where the garment workers are under a lot less pressure and restrictions. On the other hand, huge brands that produce hundreds of thousands upon thousands of quantities like Zara and H&M, they're with huge factories that are just more likely to be cramped, more likely to be unsafe, and where garment workers are just really pushed to their limit. And one of the most challenging solutions, don't always expect clothing to be cheap. Be willing to change your buying habits by maybe buying a little bit less, but buying more ethically. I think we have a set expectations that, you know, t-shirts and sweaters, they need to be a certain price. But if we want to slow down the fashion industry, we have to start re-evaluating the value of these items and what they're really worth. Yeah, and I love that last point because like I always say, think about cost per wear. It's not enough just to be like, I like this sweater, I'm going to buy it. And it's $15, so it's awesome. Because if you're only going to wear it three times, that's $5 for your cost per wear. So think about cost per wear and invest in high quality pieces. Okay, so we've talked about why this is important. We've given you some context. We've talked a little bit about what happened in the past with Rana Plaza. We've also discussed a bit of a deep dive into Bangladesh and concluded that, you know, this is probably not a living wage that these garment workers can thrive and survive on. We've discussed what companies can do, and we've also discussed about what you can do. So for this last portion, I thought we would just have a little bit of a debate and confront the living wage and see what comes up. It's difficult for me to talk about this because I'm of Chinese background, but I was also born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, so I am Canadian. But I also have a Chinese heritage, and my parents were born and raised in China, and so they kind of saw this amount of work ethic firsthand. And you know, it's interesting, I had a debate with this with my father 
couple months ago about this, and he was telling me that I was grown up in a world of privilege, and I recognize that, and I thank him for that, you know, because I am given this opportunity because of him. But at the end of the day, it's also hard for me not to have that privilege when looking at this huge topic because this is a huge topic and it's important not to impose my views onto what other people's cultures and what other people's like, working industries look like. But at the same time, in my opinion, I feel like on a human rights perspective, we as humans deserve to be treated a certain way. We deserve to have a place to live. We deserve to have food and water and all of these basic human rights. You know, you can definitely argue both sides, but I, I just thought that was interesting and I, I wanted to share. I can really relate to that, Selena, because I haven't, I have debates too, but they're kind of internal debates where I feel guilty because we do live in a more privileged environment and honestly, it's our greed and it's our consumption that drives the economy in some of these places in a really bad way that's really pressuring these garment workers. So, you know, sometimes I will see activists going overseas and going to help, but I can't help but feel, come on, it's our fault. Like we're sometimes just pretending to be the savior, but we don't always admit that we're the ones who are indirectly oppressing groups of people. And that's hard for me to, that's hard for me to think through, honestly. Yeah, 100%. I think you've put it very eloquently that we will act a certain way and then we'll go overseas and protest and try to be these saviors almost. But I think that, you know, while that's great and you're raising awareness for the issue, and I think that's important, at the end of the day, we also need to think day to day, how can we change? And we change by consuming less. We change by not thinking that our t-shirts need to be $5. And we change by doing better and being better and asking questions and demanding more transparency. We actually have to walk the walk. I think that's really important too. I also think in another lens, factory owners is definitely another huge can of worms because like Iris mentioned before, factory owners could be paid a significant amount from brands that want to do better. However, who knows if it's actually being trickled down and these workers are actually getting their fair share and it's not just taken up by these factory owners. And I think that brands need to do spot checks and they need to do sniff tests and look at the actual garment workers in the eyes and see if they're being treated fairly. I think that's really important. Yep, for sure. And I think that just really enforces the reality that is that living wage and unethical factories, this is everybody's problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. It's the brand's problem. It's the factory worker's problem. And we all have a role to play in alleviating this issue. And we need to do that. This is definitely a touchy slash controversial topic, and we would love to hear your thoughts. So feel free to DM us on Instagram or even tag certain brands that you want to find out more about their factories and their labor practices. Definitely encourage you to join the conversation. You can talk to us on Instagram again. Our handle's at Recloseted. Huge thank you to Iris for coming on today. This was such an amazing conversation to have, and I learned a lot, and I hope that you did as well. We're definitely going to have Iris on again because I think this was super fun and super eye-opening. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Selenia, for inviting me on. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. As I said, I love this topic and I love debating it. I love talking about it. We should talk about this more. So thanks so much. 
If you want to help us spread fashion sustainability and recruit more members to join our recloseted movement, make sure you leave us a rating and review that really helps us. And take a screenshot of you listening to this episode and post it to your Instagram stories and tag us at recloseted. That helps us spread the word, and it's also really cool seeing you guys listen to our episodes. I hope you have an amazing week, and remember, we are all in this together, and together we will right the harmful fashion industry.